0: Shalom and welcome to Israel. It's time for Midnight from Jerusalem, our weekly virtual worship service. I'm going to ask you, if you would please, to take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Esther and chapter 8. Now, hopefully you know that we have been studying this book of Esther for the last few months, and we're in the 8th chapter and the 2nd part of chapter 8 and I've selected a verse from this same section that's going to be used for our call to worship, a verse that hopefully will prepare our hearts and our minds in order to worship God, to praise Him, to thank Him, to adore Him, and to learn from His Word. And the verse of Scripture is chapter 8 and verse 16. Now, if you come from a Jewish background, That verse is going to be familiar to you because each and every Shabbat really at the end of Shabbat there is a special service very brief one called Havdalah and the word Leavdel means to make a distinction and it's a prayer which we say each week at the end of Shabbat in order to remind us there's a difference a difference between the Sabbath day, Shabbat, and the other six days of labor. Now, there's something else that's important, and that is there's a hope within Judaism. And there's some biblical reasons for this hope, that at the end of a Shabbat, Shabbat will come to its conclusion, but we won't go back to a normal six days of work before the next Shabbat, but rather the kingdom of God is going to be established. So we read this verse in order to remind us of this hope. Now this verse speaks about joy and and gladness and honor and light. Look, if you would, to Esther chapter 8, and verse 16, where it says, La Yudim Haita Ora, Vesimcha Vesason which again means, and to the Jewish individuals, the people, there is going to be light, meaning revelation, and this word light is a kingdom word. Read sometime Zechariah chapter 14, and it speaks about unique light in the establishment of the kingdom of God. So we'll have light and gladness and joy and honor. These things characterize those who will be in the kingdom of God. And I share this because I want to underscore what I've shared with you many times. And that is this book, Megillat Esther, the book of Esther or the scroll of Esther has much insight, many principles. That help us understand the kingdom of God. What is going to take place in order to bring about a change, to overturn this world from its present condition to a new condition, the kingdom of God. Well, with that said, let's uh, look at this verse. I want to read it carefully. Where it says, "La yudim ha'ita to the Jews there will be light, gladness, joy, and honor. Now, some of the Hasidim, they point out, when you look here, there's four things, light, gladness, joy, and honor. Four is a number that reflects the world and it speaks about a transformation of the world from what it is now to what it will be. A place of joy, gladness, honor, and light, meaning the presence and the glory of God. In other words, we could just summarize this by saying, We have a marvelous hope. Well, now let's turn to another piece of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and of course, the fourth verse for the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 which says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kavod, Machuto Leolam Vaed. V'yahavta Adonai Elohecha, Be'kol Levavcha, U'v'kol Mavchecha, U'v'kol Meodecha. Hadvarim Ha'ele, E'sher Noki M'Tzvachah Hayom Leva Levavvecha. Veshinanetan levenecha, ve debartem baum, beshiptecha, be vetacha, ulektacha, be derek, Ushak, shakbecha ukomecha, u shartam le ot al yedecha, ve ha you le totafot ben anecha, uvtaftam al mezzopetcha, uvesherecha. And let's read this in its translated form, where we read beginning in verse four Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with your very essence, with all the very essence of yourselves. And these things which I command you today shall be upon your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you r- lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them, or excuse me, bind them, ukshartam, you shall bind them uh, as a sign upon your hand, and as frontlets between your eyes, the tefillin, and, and you shall write them upon the doorposts of your homes, and upon your gates." Now, after saying that Deuteronomy verses, let's go now to a time of prayer. Father God, we we come before you seeking your presence, your insight, your wisdom in our life. Lord, we want to be obedient servants. We want to hear from you, understanding your revelation and obeying it, putting it into practice in our life. God, use us for your purposes. Reveal to us whatever we are called to do. And Lord, we pray for a spirit of submissiveness to fill us and to characterize our life. Lord, we worship you now. We praise you. We adore you. We give you thanks. And we come before you in a spirit of anticipation that you will speak to us, that you will bring change into our life, and that we will bring change into this world that you are pleased with. Lord, we want to be individuals that, that are used by you to be a blessing to others. So, Father, open our eyes to your purposes. Anoint us with all that we need through your Holy Spirit to carry out what you would have us to do. Lord, we pray this evening for those who are hurting, those who are in despair, those who are plagued by discouragement, those who are sick, those who have other ailments. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for restoration. We pray for your power to to change their circumstances, that they might overcome those things of the enemy and that they might do so victoriously and praising you for these changes that you bring. Lord, help us to be helpers. Help us to be people who are instruments of blessings. Lord, we pray for for those who are in leadership positions. We pray for our governmental leaders, that they would look to you and your word for, for instruction that they would be godly leaders. Lord, we pray for for the police, for soldiers, for those who, who help as doctors do and nurses. Lord, we pray for them, that you might give them strength and wisdom and insight and the ability to be a blessing to others. Lord, we know that you can use all things for your glory, and this is what we ask for. Lord, we pray as well for those who are struggling in relationships, in marital relationships, in family relationships, in business relationships. Lord, we pray for, for a spirit of reconciliation. We pray for unity of, of mind that all would submit to, to your will. We pray for, for just dynamic change to happen and knowing that you and you alone are the source of this. So, Father, hear our prayers, those that I have verbalized and others that are in people's hearts. Lord, we pray that as these prayers go up, that you would look favorably and kindly upon them. All these things that we we pray for in the blessed name of our Messiah, Yeshua. Amen. Are you anticipating a change in this world? Are you confident that what God has promised will indeed become and the eternal reality? That's what my hope is based upon, a change that is coming that's going to be the eternal reality that I will experience, and I will experience it ultimately in God's kingdom. Also, I know that this transformation, this change, is going to be a difficult one. The world will not want this. Most individuals will war against it. But in the end, after a time of of hardship, of persecution, of trials and such, we are called the overcomers. And what we're going to see as we look at God's word is indeed that his people are going to know vindication. That they are going to experience God moving to bring vengeance upon their enemies in order that God might do what he said he would do. And that is to bring joy, gladness, honor, and revelation, light to the people. And where these things are going to be the strongest, the boldest, the brightest is in his kingdom. That's why. A true believer is always committed to the kingdom of God. That is where the good things are. We're called to do good here, but this is not going to bring about the change that we all desire. That change will not come in its fullness. We can change people. We can bring about change in circumstances, but ultimately this world is not going to be transformed by the body of believers. It is going to be transformed by the judgment of God that destroys the enemy and all that which is apart from God's glory, his will. And he is going to bring his judgment, and the outcome of God's judgment, praise him for it, is the establishment of his kingdom. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Esther. And as I said earlier, Esther and chapter 8, a very significant chapter. Now, we have seen a few weeks ago that God began to move in this account of, of the time of Mordecai and Esther. How God began to use that which was evil, that which was against his purposes, God began to use it and change these things to bring them into his will to use them for his glory and his desire to bring victory for his covenant people. Now, one of the questions that you and I need to answer is, is indeed our, our relationship with God based upon a covenant? If you don't have a covenant with God, you are without hope. You are without God's workmanship in your life. God can still move as he desires, but when we're in a covenant relationship, then God, God is obligated. What do we learn about the new covenant? The new covenant's not like the old covenant. The old covenant we broke, and the people suffered the consequences. The new covenant, God is going to keep it. We are going to be secure through the faithfulness of God to his word, the promises that he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can have confidence, assurance, a boldness that God is indeed going to work good in his new covenant people's lives. And we see the paradigm of that in this account. So as I said, the book of Esther chapter eight, we have seen that Mordecai and Esther They have become known as they truly are. The seed of of Abraham, God's covenant people, the king Ahasuerus, he's learned this. And he has been moved by the godliness of these two individuals to the extent that what had Haman now Esther and Mordecai Possess this transfer of authority, this transfer of power, this transfer of wealth as the estate of Haman, and all of his vast wealth now is in the hands of Esther and Mordecai, is administering it, and also this this important position of Haman, with the king's singlet reign, it now is upon the hand of Mordecai. And these two, Esther and Mordecai, they are beseeching the king respectfully that he act in a way to defend the Jewish people. And he agrees and he says, you have the authority. Whatever you do, do in my name. I am for it. It shows a change in the world from once being committed to Haman, now being committed to Mordecai. And Mordecai is going to be a typology for Messiah. We'll see more of that towards the end of our study. But let's begin with this edict that's going to go forth from Mordecai with the king's permission. And notice what it says, verse 9, Esther chapter 8 and verse 9. And the scribes of the king, they were called, that means in that time. Now, that expression, "Beet hahi, usually speaks about a time of significance. Normally, a time of significance that is going to produce that which is good for God's people. That there's going to be a, a blessed outcome. And that's exactly what we see in this text. So once more, the scribes of the king, they were called at that time, when. In the third month, the number three relates to revealing something. There is going to be much revealed through what we study tonight. God is revealing this as a paradigm for a better understanding of what's going to happen indeed in the last days, the end time. So it says, in the third month, it is the month of Sivan. Now, what does that mean to you? Well, again, if you're a good student of the Bible, you know something. You'll remember what we studied several months ago, probably more than a year ago, when we looked at the book of Exodus in chapter 19. It was in the third month that the children of Israel arrived. Where? And the answer is Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. And there. God told the people to make themselves ready. Unfortunately, they were not obedient to that. They did not, not behave obediently, faithfully at Mount Sinai. Even though, and you'll all recall, how that mountain, how that mountain shook with the voice of God, with various sounds, and they saw the sounds of the shofar and lightning, And they saw fire and smoke and that whole mountain ablaze. And we see that that same image appears a few times in the book of Revelation. And it signifies God's glory that is going to be manifested in this world. The people back in that third month weren't ready for it. But this is signifying that one day in the future, The people will be ready for it. And it's going to be established. What is that? The kingdom purpose is what God desired. So once more it says that this took place in the third month, which is the month of Sivan. On the 23rd day of it, meaning the 23rd day of the month. And it was written according to all which Mordecai commanded to the Jews. Now, first and foremost, and this tells us something that we learn from the book of Romans, that the word here from Mordecai was given first and foremost to the Jewish people. Then it was going to be taken throughout the world. Now, pay attention, it says on the 23rd, and the implication is the 23rd day of it, of the month of Sivan. The word day doesn't appear there, and the reason why is, it's to emphasize the number. If you have something that means the 23rd day, but the word day is not there, it's to put an emphasis on 23. Now, according to Hebrew numerology, I'm not talking about gematria. That's something totally different. But according to Hebrew numerology, biblical numerology, the number two, and this is true whether we're talking about two, or twenty, or two hundred, or two thousand, or twenty thousand, makes no so difference. The two stands out. The ten, or the hundred, or the thousand, or the ten thousand, just speaks of it in a larger term, in its in its greatest way. So on the twentieth day, two speaks about two different opinions and the number 3 we've already spoken about 23 two different opinions reveal now this has significance from a theological point of view why because what has happened and this is not an interpretation we know that an edict has gone out and under the law of the persians the medes and the persian once a king's edict goes forth it can't be changed it is enforced permanently but what has happened under the leadership of Mordecai they are writing these scribes are going to write down an an edict that is in opposition so we're going to have two edicts two opinions that are in conflict one is going to say to destroy the Jewish people the other one is going to tell the Jewish people to destroy the enemies So each person is going to have to make a decision. Very theologically important. Every person has got to make a decision. What edict are they going to embrace? To embrace one is to be defined against the other. To support one is defined against the other one. There's no way that you can do both. They are in conflict with one another. So the people, and this is what I want you to see, The people are going to have to choose. To choose whose side are they going to be upon? Israel or the opponents of Israel? And I'm using the term Israel for the Jewish people. The covenant people of God. Once more, look at this verse 9. And the scribes of the king, they were called at that day, that time, on the 23rd... 23rd day of the third month, which is the month of Sivan. And it was written according to all which Mordecai commanded the Jews, and to the, and this would be the the leaders. Very important, I believe most English Bibles will call this term satraps. What it means are supreme leaders in each province. Those who are like presidents of each Country and also the governors, they would be governing regions within each province. And it says also the cabinet officials of of the provinces, which are from Hodu, from India, unto Kush, Ethiopia. Now we're going to see that what appears here in this verse is very similar to what appears in the opening verse of chapter one. It speaks about these 127 provenances in this empire that range from Hodu, from India to Ethiopia. And we talked about the fact that the people in India and the people in Ethiopia, in Ethiopia, Kush is the Hebrew term, refers to a larger group of people than just the Ethiopia of today. It speaks about an ancient empire that was based in Ethiopia and these two groups of people were very different but ashverroche and that Empire was able to rule over people of a great distance apart and very different it is to emphasize how powerful how strong how much influence and authority this Empire had and now it says that Mordecai according to what He commanded all which he commanded. It be given to the Jews and to the the high officials, the governors, the cabinet officials, and all the providence, which are from India unto Ethiopia, the 127 providence, providence after providence after providence. And it is written unto people and people, In their language, so the document is going to be written in the script of the people and in the language of the people, to the Jews according to their writing and according to their language. So this is going forth, and what it's emphasized when it says to every people, to every language, in every type of script, it means this: that everyone. Is going to have to make a decision when this second imp- this second end edict goes forth everyone's gonna to have to say something that is am I going to be loyal to the first or to the second what am I going to do with what has gone forth whose side am I going to be on a choice is going to have to be made and this is true in the last days People are going to have to either decide to be with the Antichrist or the true Christ. Same idea here. A choice has got to be made on leadership. Now look at verse verse 10, where we read, And it was written, this edict was written in the name of the king, King Ahasuerus, and it was sealed with the ring of the king, which is by who? now it is Mordecai that has this and these uh, letters probably edicts books these documents were sent in the hand of Ratzim runners now they were the ones we might think of heralds those who went forth to herald the law to make it known to people and they did so on horses riding upon horses that were were royal ones who were the offspring of these very fine and fast horses. Verse 11, which the king had given concerning the Jews, which were in every city and city. So first of all, it says this edict that went forth, told first and foremost the Jewish people was given to them, allowed to them. That they in every city, they could gather together, they could assemble. That they could stand. This means to stand in in opposition against the enemy in behalf of their lives. And what could they do? All who wanted to to attack them, they had now the authority to destroy, to kill, and to, to exterminate, to cause, to perish. Every force, every army, every force of opposition against any people in any providence, those that were harming, troubling them. Now, by the way, this word for those who are troubling is the same root that we find in the book of Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, where it speaks about Etzerah, Yaakov, a time of tribulation, a time of trouble for Jacob. And the language is the same because we're going to see in the last days, because of Israel's rejection of the Antichrist, that he is going to want to destroy, kill, and exterminate the Jewish people. And an edict's going to go forth from God, that the Jewish people don't have to surrender to this, but that they can stand for their life. And who's going to be standing with them? We're going to find that this is when Messiah is going to come and save that remnant in the last days. So look again. We read verse 11, which the king gave to the Jewish people that in every city and city that they could assemble, they could be gathered together in order to stand for their life and to destroy to kill to exterminate every force every army of the people and in every providence that wants to trouble them and they could kill not just the army but also child and woman and to take plunder of their possessions so again if you read that first edict that Haman went out it's the exact opposite you have a choice you can either obey hamans and want to kill the Jewish people in order to plunder and take their possessions but they now any those who are troubling them they can kill destroy exterminate and plunder their possessions so we see two similar but but opponent opposing edicts at, at work here and again, each person was going to have to make a distinction of what they were going to do. Look now to verse, 20, 12, verse 12, where it says, Now, again, the more that you're able to study the scripture in the original language, you'll see phrases that repeat themselves. And these phrases that repeat themselves are in sometimes some very unique, important context and what happens is beyom achad we see that for example in the book of genesis but we also see it in the book of zechariah 14 and this beyom achad in one day and the number achad one oftentimes relates to god who is one we say that each week in the shema so it's the day of god and that same expression on one day is found in Zechariah 14 where it speaks about the uniqueness of the kingdom of God that there's going to be a time one day a new condition and that new condition that is full of light a unique light is going to characterize the establishment of the kingdom of God so when I look at verse 12 and I say or I read Beyomachad on one day this gives me a kingdom context It says, in one day, in every providence or in all the providences of the king, Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the month, on the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Now, first of all, 13. Again, 13, normally when we think of that, we should think of 12 and 1. We just came across the number 1 in the same verse. So 1 and 12, 1 is God, 12 the people of God. And we find the 12th month Adar, the number 12 is a kingdom number. You say, well, where's that found in the Bible? Read Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. When it speaks of the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem, what number appears there? 12 and 12 and 12 and 12, over and over and over. We see that number 12, sometimes 12 times 12, 144, so 144, 144,000 makes no difference. We're speaking about a kingdom number, and here the number 12 refers to what the kingdom of God is going to be like. There's going to be unity between the people of God and God. 13, and this is all a kingdom outcome. So we read, look again at verse verse 12. On one day, in all the provenances of the king King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the month on the 12th month which is the month of Adar so here we're going to see something that is very very unique the word Adar can mean something that is special something that is glorious in a unique way verse 13 a copy of this writing of this edict it was made or given set forth as a law in every providence and providence published to all the people now the word publish is the word galui meaning it was made reveal it was was given to them in a manner of revelation meaning they could see it they could read it they were knowledgeable of it what it said so everywhere in this empire every Providence and providence, every people and people in their writing, the the script, and also in their language, it was written down this edict, meaning it was for all people. Everyone was going to have to make a decision obey the edict of Haman, Haman's a typology of the Antichrist, or the edict of Mordecai, who is a typology of the real Christ. That's the decision. That people are going to have to make. Verse 13, again it says, A copy of this writing, it was given, made as a law in every providence and providence, it was revealed to all the people. And it said, For the Jewish people, that they should be, and it's a word for future, but in this context, it means to be ready in the future for that day to do what? to vindicate or for vindication from their enemies that's literally what it says for the vindication of their enemies now this word for vindication is also can be translated the word for vengeance we know the scripture vengeance is mine saith the lord so what is being revealed here is on that day god is going to bring vengeance his vengeance upon the enemies of the Jewish people now that tells us we should be on whose side Israel's side this is a principle that goes without without saying in all periods of time God is going to work to defend his people and when we look at something as horrible as a Holocaust, God in the end there was a remnant that was preserved. And what happened because of the Holocaust, out of it came the establishment of the modern state of Israel. In the same way that God brought the people back from Babylon in order for Messiah to come the first time, God has brought the people and bringing the people back to the land for him to come a second time. This is what the scripture revealing to us. Verse 14. And the runners riding upon these these good horses, these royal horses, they went forth. How did they go forth? They went forth hurriedly and with urgency with the word of the king. Now, this word that goes forth from the king, it went forth urgently and very quickly. This means these two words hurriedly and urgently speak of according to most of the commentators the importance of it for the people not so much for the king not for Mordecai and for Esther but for the people and not just for the Jewish people but for all the people see the Jewish people whose side are they going to be on they're going to be on their own side they're going to do the defense of themselves they have no choice this really is going to have an emphasis upon who the nations the gentiles and that's exactly what we're going to see towards the end of our study so verse 14 the the heralds they were riding these fine royal horses they went forth quickly and urgently with the word of the king and the 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 law was given in shushan the capital now here the term Shushan this capital city it's the capital of an empire and what we're going to see is that there's going to be a capital of the kingdom of God and what takes place here's the paradigm what takes place in Shushan is going to be the paradigm for what's going to happen ultimately in the holy city Jerusalem, the capital of the kingdom of God. So once more, these heralds went forth hurriedly and urgently upon these horses with the word of the king and his law was set forth. It was given in Shushan, the capital, verse 15. Now, last week when we began chapter 18, Mordecai, he was emphasized He was given the king's singlet reign. He was the one who now had authority in this kingdom. He, we learned this, he was one who commanded what to be written in this edict, this contrary edict to Haman's edict. He went and wrote forth what was there. But notice verse 15. And with the next three verses, the last three verses of this chapter, we see great significance verse 15, and Mordecai went forth from the presence of the king. And how did he go forth from the presence of the king? He was dressed in royalty. Now, in one way, we see the term king being used as the supreme authority. Yes, Mordecai. He is ruling. He has the singlet reign, the token of the authority, but he received it from the king. And Mordecai is a typology for the true Messiah. And now we see when the king is making wise decisions, this king now, he kind of is a paradigm for God the Father. Now, obviously, throughout much of this, we could not make such a conclusion. But here there's a change, and the authority in the world, God Almighty, he is empowering the, the, the Messiah, the, the real Messiah, to bring about his changes. So Mordecai goes forth from the presence of the king, dressed in royalty. Now, this speaks about his identity, that Mordecai is a representation in the book of the King of Kings. And it says that he has his royal garments consisted of techelet, this special blue. Vahur is a fine white and also a large golden crown. The implication is, was upon his head. And his garments were of this linen, boots, a fine linen, and also purple. Now he goes forth and we see that there's three primary colors. We see this special blue. We see as well this this white, this fine white and then also these linen garments of argaman which is royal. Now blue simplifies as the heavens, white purity, And argamon royalty, this purple of royalty. And this is what Mordecai displays. The things of the kingdom of heaven. The purity of of the will of God. And then finally, the king, the rule of, of the king of kings. And it says here that he goes forth, and notice it says, And the city of Shushan was joyful and glad very important that we see this now when Haman and he his edict went forth the city was embarrassed the city was confused but now with Mordecai being revealed and remember Haman wanted to be the king when when he was given the opportunity to say what the would be good for one whom the king delighted it, and he thought it was himself. He says, put that royal garment upon me, put that crown upon my head, let me ride in an exalted manner on the horse of the king throughout the city. That's what he wanted, but he didn't get it. God hindered that. In the same way that God is going to hinder everything that the Antichrist wants, it's not going to be fulfilled. Who's going to take the real leadership? Who's going to rule over the king of, of, of God, the kingdom of God? It is going to be the true Messiah. And when that happens, there's going to be joy and gladness in the capital city. Verse 16. Now, verse 16, we use for a call to worship. It simply says, La Yudim haita ora. And and to the Jewish people, there was light revelation. And remember, this word light, I mentioned about Yom Echad. Yom one day. I mentioned that in Zechariah 14, that same expression is there, one day. But it also speaks in that same chapter, in that same section, because of the uniqueness of that day, there's going to be light, that light that most scholars see as a representative representation of the glory of God. And when God's glory is manifested, it is going to bring about joy and gladness and honor for the Jewish people, his people. Verse 17, And in every providence and providence, and in every city and city. So we start from a larger, an area within the empire, and every city within that empire. And then it says, Makom, a place. Every place where the word of the king and his law arrive. Now, notice the word for arriving, Magia. It's singular. So the word of the king and his law is one and the same. Every place where That law, that word of the king arrived. What was there? There was gladness and joy to the Jewish people. Now, why is that? This vindication. What brought about vindication? God's judgment. Now, because of God's judgment, because of this vindication of the Jewish people, them being delivered. Look at the picture. It's Mordecai the Jew who has on the royal crown, the royal garments, this singlet ring upon his hand. He's the one that is ruling for the king in the same way that Messiah is going to rule for God the Father. And what's the outcome of his rule? Gladness and joy, honor, and the glory of God. All of this is being displayed. Now let's move to our last verse, verse 17. Here we find a very important conclusion. And this foreshadows, it's a typology, this whole book, a typology of what's going to happen. Let's read it. I'm going to read it in Hebrew slowly, and then we'll translate it where it says, Bechol Midina Midina Ir Now this says, In every providence and providence, in every city and city Mokom Asher Devar Hamalek and in every city and city the place where the word of the king and his law arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews. Mishte also there was a banquet. This is a banquet of rejoicing, of happiness, of, of, of thanking God. Mishte is related to to wine, which is a symbol of of happiness. And it was a Yom Tov. A Yom Tov is a holiday, a good day, an appointed day from the Lord. So all of this is happening for the Jewish people. And here's what I want you to see. Ve'erabim me'ameh mit yahadim, So important. And many. Now, this word, Rabin, see, Hebrew is such a unique language. Rabin can mean public, in a public, visible way, but it also can speak about the majority, the most, the most individuals. In a public way, what do they do? It says, mit Yahadim. Now, if you want to say that a a person converted, it's mit gayer. But if a person converts to Judaism in the biblical language, it's mityahed. What does that mean? It's from the word for a Jew. He became a Jew. Now, what it means is he became a praiser of God, one who gives thanks to God. So here it says, many of the people of the land, and here it means the earth, ha'arts, can mean the land or the earth, the world. Many of the people of the earth, they did what? They became Jews. Now, some Bibles will say masqueraded. Some will say pretended. This is not what it means. It means that they became like the Jewish people. They became those who gave thanks and praise and honor. They recognized God. That's what it's saying here. Why did they do that? It says, Ki nafal pachad hayudim alehem. Because fell fear of the Jews upon them. Now, this has some very important implications that we're going to conclude with. First and foremost, there's a difference between the word yir'ah, fear, like the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, That word fear, Yerah, has to do with giving God priority. Now, there's no doubt that they were doing that. That's why they they did what's said here. They became as Jews. Because they wanted to give priority, but the cause was fear. They saw how God moved for the Jewish people. And they did the opposite of Anshe Yericho, the people of Jericho. The scripture says, Rahab, Rahab said, Wait, we know what happened, what the God of Israel did for these people at the Red Sea against these two great kings, how you destroyed them. We've heard all of this and the fear of God has fallen upon us, but they wouldn't respond. This is not the case. There's going to be a response like there was in the days of Mordecai. There will be in the days of the Messiah. At his second coming, there's going to be a remnant of people that are left over after this war for Jerusalem. That they're going to see God in in defending his people. And they're going to be moved by that and begin to praise God, thank God and join with the jewish people that's what they're going to do and they're going to do so publicly that's what the book of esther's revealing to us there is so much wisdom principles truth paradigms within the book of esther that gives us a proper way of understanding what will be remember this is not actually called the book of esther but it's called Megilat Esther, the scroll which comes from the word for rolling up or unrolling, revealing certain things, godly things about what will be in the last days. The book of Esther, so much wisdom for us to be ready for the last days. While well, close with that, remembering next week, We will begin chapter 9 of this book. It's a long chapter, but a very informative chapter. Once more about what will be paradigms, examples of what will happen in the end times. Until then, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel.